Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to another My Guest List Pod Review Show. I'm Darren and this is the companion to my main interview show that I do with podcasters every other week. You can catch that show here on the same feed. If you would like to get in contact with me or submit suggestions and ideas for the show, you can get in touch at My Guest List Pod pretty much everywhere you look. All the links are in the show notes, so check there each week. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you can, or just tell someone about the show that you think might be interested. So, this week, we are delving into the world of technology, the internet, the deep or dark web, hacking and everything else that goes hand in hand with these topics. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. With his show Darknet Diaries, Jack Resider reveals, as he explains it in his show, stories from the dark side of the internet. He conveys the world in which we live in terms of hacks, exploits, zero days, vulnerabilities, data breaches, and illegal internet commerce. Each week, he takes you on a ride through the past and recent history of the connected world and its seedy and dark underbelly. However, you don't have to be a lifelong tech head or work in the industry or even aspire to ever work in the tech field to enjoy his show. Does it help to have some tech knowledge to appreciate the shows? Well, yes, it does, but it's not compulsory. That's the beauty of what Darknet Diaries does. Jack explains the intricacies of his stories in a way that provides you with what you need to understand and appreciate each story without being patronizing to listeners without the specialized knowledge of that world. On most occasions, if Jack tells you about a piece of software or a device, he will also give you an example of how it works and what it means for the end user. Here is just one example, but he does it throughout his shows. Sometimes you read the news, and the story sticks with you forever. One such news story I saw was some security news I heard, and I'll always remember it. It was when I first saw a presentation about the NSA ANT catalog. Have you seen this? It's mind-bending. Okay, here's what happened. Someone with access to NSA documents took the ANT catalog and gave it to journalists at Der Spiegel, and then they published it. At first, we thought it was Snowden who leaked these documents, but we're not sure if it was him or a second leaker. I asked Snowden on Twitter if it was him, but he didn't respond. So what's NSA's ANT catalog? ANT stands for Advanced Network Technology. And in this catalog are a list of hacks, exploits, and cyber surveillance devices that the NSA can use for certain missions. If you work at the NSA and you need an exploit, you look through this catalog and then request to get one of these devices or pieces of software. When you look through it, it looks like the work of science fiction, but these are all real devices. Let me point out a few to you. The NSA has created a device, codenamed Cotton Mouse. It looks like a typical USB plug, one you'd see on a mouse or a keyboard. But it's actually capturing all the data going through it and wirelessly transmitting that data. It listens for mouse clicks, keyboard strokes, or any other data going through it. 
Now, the receiver has to be close by. I don't know, 20 feet maybe. And with a strong antenna and nothing in the way, it could probably transmit much further. So someone can be listening maybe in the room next door to everything that your USB connector is seeing. This is some next-level technology that the NSA developed in 2008, which still isn't even available commercially today. And the ANT catalog even lists a price for this, $20,000 per USB implant. Jeez, that's a lot. The NSA ANT catalog has loads of other hacks and implants. There's Dropout Jeep, which is a piece of software that if you can get it onto an iPhone, it'll give you all the text messages, contacts, voicemail, it'll hot mic or open the video camera and get a geolocation of that phone. And there's Firewalk, which is a pretty amazing network sniffer. And there's JetPlow, which is a firmware that gives the NSA backdoor access to a Cisco firewall. And then there's Deity Bounce, which is an implant that goes onto a Dell server, which can get them backdoor access to that. But one of my favorites is called Rage Master. This is a little device that taps into any VGA port. This is the connector that goes from your computer to your monitor. And with this, it can wirelessly transmit everything that VGA connector sees, essentially cloning that monitor to be seen by someone else at a distance. So let's imagine how these hacks might take place. The NSA might intercept a Cisco firewall being delivered somewhere, and they'll open the box carefully, put their firmware on it, and then seal the box back up, and this will give them permanent backdoor access into that firewall whenever they want. Or if they know their target is going to stay at a hotel, they can get a room next door to their target, break into their target's room, install Cottonmouth or Rage Master, and then listen in the other room for the wireless signal to see everything that person was typing and seeing. Even if that person wasn't connected to the wireless or any network at all, this is possible. And it's insanely impressive. And yes, 50 items in this catalog were leaked to the public in 2013, But we only saw descriptions of these devices. No actual devices were seen. Now, upon closer inspection, we see that these items were intended to be used by TAO. TAO stands for Tailored Access Operations, TAO. And it's a unit within NSA that has a primary objective to gather intelligence on computer systems. The people within TAO have access to the most sophisticated hacking tools ever created, They have the budget and ability to spend years on research and development to make insane tools and then use them whenever they need. Tau is NSA's elite hacking force, and they've actually changed their name to Computer Network Operations now, but for this story, I'm going to just keep calling them Tau. Now, when security companies research hacking campaigns, they can't tell for sure who did it. So they give hackers a unique code name. Fancy Bear is what's given to the Russian hackers. Charming Kitten is given to Iran, and so on. But security companies have investigated certain malware that's come from the NSA. And so a hacking name was given to the NSA. The name they were given is the Equation Group. And it's believed that whoever is doing work for the Equation Group is specifically Tau within the NSA. At the same time, hobbyists like myself and industry professionals can equally enjoy his show because of the in-depth research and great format he presents in every episode. On many occasions, giving you a unique perspective through interviews with the principals involved in a story. One of the best examples of this was his interview with a woman who was part of Israel's Unit 8200, their version of the NSA. It was an amazing look into an organization most people probably don't even know exists. Darknet Diaries covers a plethora of subjects, so there is definitely something for everyone to enjoy. The Sony hack, Stuxnet, WannaCry, 
The JP Morgan Chase data breach, all the big hacks that made the news are here and in a detailed analysis you don't often find. But you also have other, more varied episodes. These include, amongst other topics, the rise and fall of Mount Gox, Manfred, an episode about a guy that had been hacking online games for the last 20 years, nation-state hackers, individuals caught hacking and that have reformed and now are making a killing in the industry as bug hunters, security researchers finding data breaches and the vulnerabilities that we never hear about or care about until it means having to update our phone, tablet or router. But personally, the stories about penetration testers and the teams they work in are my favourites. The teams that have individuals with specialised talents, including the non-tech areas, are amazing. Coders, hardware specialists, and individuals doing on-site physical access, which in many cases you would probably more readily define as con artists or confidence men than tech professionals. These are what I really enjoy. It reminds me of the TV show Scorpion or the mid-90s movie Hackers. To that, two episodes named No Parking or Just Visiting are great examples of this kind of story. However, one of my favourite episodes to listen to was called Jeremy from Accounting. It's a fantastic story that details the efforts of an individual pen tester and a contract that doesn't exactly end the way he had planned. You should check it out if a computer has ever frustrated you in any way whatsoever. You will be able to empathise with Jeremy. Jack is obviously a part of the tech industry, but it's his passion for the story that makes his show a pleasure to listen to. He is genuine and loves what he does. You can hear it in his voice when he wants you to really appreciate the gravity of some point he is making. Take a listen. Things started to get weird for the Rio investigation. On July 21st, the Israeli police made two coordinated arrests in Israel at the request of the FBI. Now remember that date, July 21st, 2015. It's going to come up a few other times in the story. So the police arrived unexpectedly at the homes of 31-year-old Gary Shalon and 40-year-old Ziv Orenstein. They were both arrested and charged with securities fraud, which is basically illegal stock market manipulation. Now, Gary Shalon is a bit of a flashy guy. He lives in a $6 million mansion in the very posh Savion suburb of Tel Aviv. This is kind of like Israel's version of Beverly Hills, where all the celebrities live. His closets were full of expensive tailored suits, and the police found half a million dollars in cash in his house when he was arrested. Ziv Orenstein, who lived in Bat Heifer, about 29 miles away, may have been wealthy too, but he was more low-key. Both of these guys are Israeli citizens, and in 2009, they established a web marketing company called WeboLogic Limited. Gary was the manager of this company, and Ziv wasn't listed as being involved with WeboLogic, at least on the books. Still, the Wall Street Journal reported that there were 30-odd employees that worked there, and they all knew Ziv was really the guy in charge. As part of the securities fraud investigation, the Israeli police seized all electronic devices in both Gary and Ziv's house and the WeboLogic offices. Now, there was this third guy involved in all this. The Israeli police also raided the house of 31-year-old Joshua Samuel Aaron at the same time. But when they went to his house, he wasn't home. He had been in Russia, but he was supposed to be back in Tel Aviv at the time of the arrest. There was no sign of him at all. So they report back to the FBI that they didn't get Joshua. And so Joshua becomes a wanted man. And get this, at the same time that Gary and Ziv are arrested in Israel, the FBI coordinated a simultaneous raid in Florida. They arrested Anthony Mergio and Yuri Lebedev for running an illegal Bitcoin exchange called Coin.mx. 
So what do these arrests have to do with major U.S. bank hacks? Well, on that same day, July 21st, Preet Bharara, U.S. Attorney of the Southern District of New York, unsealed an indictment against Gary, Ziv, and Joshua. Bloomberg News and the New York Times published some wild claims. They reported that a leaked internal FBI memo had linked Joshua, the man on the run from Israel police, and Anthony, the man arrested in Florida, to the J.P. Morgan Chase hack. The memo said there was evidence of Joshua logging into the servers that were used for these hacks. On the same day, we also find out exactly what they stole. I mean, these people attempted to get into 12 banks, and they successfully got into a few of them. They must have done this for monetary gain, right? But did they steal any money? No. I mean, I can think of a number of ways they could have stolen money. Obviously, a bank the size of J.P. Morgan Chase has a lot of money in its accounts, and the hackers could have moved some of that money around. Okay, but there's other ways they could have made money too, like the Chase Bank gift cards. Imagine if they got into the database of those, or prepaid debit cards, or they could have manipulated the bank's reward point system. Imagine if they set their own accounts to have like a billion reward points, and they could convert that to cash and just siphon money out that way. Or what if they instructed a ton of accounts to buy a certain stock, driving up the price? There are a ton of things they could have done while in the bank's networks. But all they did was steal customer database records. Specifically, they grabbed email addresses of bank customers. And I just don't understand that. Why go through all the effort of breaking into the biggest and possibly the most secure company in America just to steal 83 million customer records? There's something more to the story. As I said... He loves the story and loves helping you understand it properly. Jack's voice is easy to listen to and technically, as you would expect, the audio is always top-notch and the show's music and format is professional, clean and crisp. On a personal note, I really enjoy Jack's sign-offs for his show where he gives himself and usually his music composer little quirky titles. They're clever and something I enjoy, but then again, maybe that's just me. Darknet Diaries is a staple on my podcast rotation, and even if you have a passing interest in understanding the world behind the tech world you live in, then you should give Darknet Diaries a listen. That's it for another review show. Remember, I'd love to hear from anyone with suggestions about either of my shows, and if you would like to get in contact with me, you can reach out on email, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at my guest list pod. And hop on over to Facebook and join the MGLP VIP Lounge. Come say hi. You can support the show by subscribing on whatever Apple podcast platform you use to listen. And if you can please rate me five stars on iTunes, it will go a long way to helping me grow the show and reach more people. Please rate and review anywhere you can, though, or just tell someone about my show that you think might appreciate it. If you would like to further support the show, you can head on over to the show's Patreon account, or you can buy the show a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pod where the proceeds will be used to improve this show and most importantly used to give back to the podcasting community and directly support other indie podcasters. Thanks for listening and I'll chat at you again next week.